Psalm 2, starting in verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Who's in charge here? Have you ever been somewhere and thought, who is in charge? Maybe you went to a restaurant that was just a mess. The tables were all dirty. There was no one to take your order. The drink machines weren't working. You're probably thinking, who is in charge here? Maybe you ran into a store to pick up a few things, and it was a mess. There were boxes all over the floor. The items on the shelves were all mixed up. There was only one person working in the whole store. Checkout was taking forever. You're probably thinking, who is in charge here? When we see that things are a mess, we know that there's probably someone to blame. There's probably someone not doing their job. There's probably someone slacking. You know, we can look at the world around us and think the exact same thing. We can look at all this mess in the world and it can seem like God is not doing his job. School shootings in our nation aren't stopping. One third of the world lives in extreme poverty. There are over 103 million refugees and displaced people in the world. Every second, someone in the world dies of malaria. Most of them are children under five. There are currently 32 wars being fought around the world. Over half of them are in Africa. This world is a mess, and it can seem like God is not doing his job. But we come to Psalm 2, and we see, yes, this world is out of control. But we do see that God has an answer to all of the mess in this world. God has an answer for all the anarchy. He has a ruler for all of this rebellion. He has a king for all the chaos. You see, Psalm 2 is the declaration that God is in charge here, and his son Jesus is on the throne. Today, God is calling us through his word to kiss the son, to give Jesus 
our lives and our allegiance to put all of our hope in him. And so my prayer for us today as we see Jesus as the answer to all that is wrong in this world, that we would put all of our hope in him, that we would give to him all of our worship and devotion, that we would come to Jesus today and kiss the Son. Let's look now in Psalm 2 for what God has for us. Look with the first three verses with me again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast their cords from us. You see, the psalmist looks at the world around him and asks this question. Why are all of these people raging against the Lord? Might seem like an odd question. We have to realize the people of Israel often faced attacks from these nations that surrounded them. They were constantly under the threat of war or violence or some big empire that's going to come and oppress them. And so the psalmist sees these rogue rulers as rejecting God's rightful rule over the world. Notice how they take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. That word anointed is the Hebrew word Mashiach. It's where we get our word Messiah. And that word is pointing us to the promised king who would come in the line of David. You see, these kings were anointed with oil as a symbol of God's blessing over them. As a symbol as the ones who were chosen by God to be king. But you see, these rulers of the earth don't want God's king. And so they make plans to reject God and his Messiah. But what will God do about this? What's he going to do with all of these rebels? We'll look at verses 4 through 6 again. It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. What's God's response to all of these nations and rulers who were raging against him? He sits in the heavens and he laughs at them. Our text says he holds them in derision. That just means he mocks them. He will speak in his holy anger against them and terrify them with his words. And here's what he says. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You see, Mount Zion was the name of the hill that Jerusalem sat upon. King David made Jerusalem the capital city of Israel, and establish God's worship there in Jerusalem. And so God's answer to all of these nations and these rulers that are raging against him is to put his king on a throne in his holy city. This was a promise that God made to David. We read about it in 2 Samuel 7. David's descendants would rule in Jerusalem as God's chosen king's. And one of them would be king one day forever. And so generation after generation, God had a king ruling there in that holy city. 
But when we read the Bible, we see that nearly all of these kings were unfaithful. They were anointed and chosen and blessed by God, but they were unfaithful. Nearly every king failed to delight in the law of the Lord, like we saw in Psalm 1 last week. And for centuries, God's people waited for a true Messiah, someone who would come to be faithful and righteous. For centuries, they waited for this promised king who would come in the line of David. And all of that waiting led us to a young virgin in the town of Nazareth. She was visited by an angel who told her that she would have a son, and this son would sit on the throne of his father, David. He would be son of the Most High God, and his name would be Jesus. You see, Jesus came as God's promised seed of David, that true anointed king, that true Messiah, the righteous one who would lead his people. These rulers of the earth took counsel together to to destroy him. But he allowed them to rage against him and to kill him. And he did it so that he might bring salvation to those who would trust in his name. Listen to this prayer in Acts chapter 4. This is the prayer of the early church. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're quoting from Psalm 2 in this prayer. And they say, For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You see, the rulers of the earth raged against Jesus, and they killed him. But they could not destroy him. It was God's perfect plan for him to lay down his life, but that was not the end of the plan. On the third day, Jesus rose in victory, and he ascended to the heavenly Mount Zion, where he is right now at this moment seated at the right hand of the Father. And from that place now Jesus rules and reigns over all things. So friends, yes, this world is a mess, but friends, Jesus is on his throne. And so this is the first big truth that I want us to see from the psalm today. I want this to sink deep into our hearts that Jesus is worthy of our hope. He's on the throne, and so he's worthy of our hope. God has set his king on his holy hill, and that changes everything for us. No matter what craziness might come our way, nothing will change the fact that Jesus at this moment is on his throne. Friends, this truth should give us Peace in the face of chaos should give us comfort in the face of sorrow, should give rest in the face of weariness. It should give us hope even in the face of despair. The world is, yes, raging against the Lord, but Jesus is on the throne, and that should give us real 
hope. You know, I don't know if you watched last week, but most of the world watched as King Charles III was crowned the new king of the United Kingdom. It had been 70 years since his mother Elizabeth was crowned queen. And this was a pretty big deal. The ceremony alone cost an estimated $125 million. There were 2,200 people on the guest list. And even 10 million Americans. Why do we care? Americans tuned in to watch King Charles crown the new king. Now, I don't know if you're the kind of person that likes to keep up with the British royals. Maybe you like all the drama with Harry and Meghan, whatever. Maybe you don't. Either way, it really does not matter one bit that Charles was crowned king of the United Kingdom. And honestly, even if you live in the United Kingdom, it doesn't really matter one bit that he was crowned king. It's all just for show. It doesn't really change much of anything. I wonder if some of us today are sitting here thinking and feeling that same way about Jesus. Maybe you hear the truth that Jesus is on the throne, but maybe you feel like, yeah, but that doesn't really matter. Maybe you feel like it's just all for show. Maybe that feels like a truth that's just too far away for the real world and the real problems that we face. Maybe you feel like it's just empty words when our struggles seem too hard. Maybe you feel like that's not real hope for real change in your life. Brothers and sisters, God is speaking to us today, and he's telling us, I have my king on Zion and my holy hill. God hears our cries for help. God listens to our groanings. He remembers our, his covenant love for us. He sees our struggles and he knows our pain. And his answer to all of that, to all of the chaos in the world and the chaos in our hearts is to put Jesus on the throne. I mean, we need to tell ourselves this over and over and over again. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. When the world comes against us, Jesus is on the throne. When the cancer comes for us, and it probably will, Jesus is on the throne. When we're stressed at work, Jesus is on the throne. When your marriage seems almost impossible, Jesus is on the throne. When you're overwhelmed as a mom, and I know you are, Jesus is on the throne. When the anxiety and the worry just will not stop, Jesus is on the throne. When you feel hopeless, Jesus is still on the throne. And what's he doing there? He's loving us. He's interceding for us. He's working all things for our good. And he's waiting for the day where he will return to make all things new and to be with us forever. Friends, there are endless reasons to be anxious and overwhelmed 
and weary. But take heart, Jesus is on the throne. Find peace today because he's on the throne. Find rest today because he's on the throne. Find hope today because Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is the answer to all the chaos in this world, and he is on his throne. So brothers and sisters, let's let this truth sink into our hearts. Jesus is on the throne. And let's put all our hope in him. So let's continue. Psalm 2 continues in verse 7 with a new speaker now. We actually hear the words of this anointed king. Listen again to verses 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, this is that king speaking, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. So we hear from this king, and we're reminded again of this promise that God made to King David. When God promised to give David a son to rule on the throne, God says this about the king. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. God will have a unique relationship with this king. That's why here in verse 7, the king shares that the Lord said to him, Today you are my son. Today I have begotten you. When this son of David is crowned king, God is going to take him as a son. He'll be the son of God. That's what that word means. That title is for the promised king in the line of David. And notice what this God promises this king in verse 8. He says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. You will inherit all of the nations. The families of the earth will be your prize. And listen, for those who submit to this king, that's going to be eternal blessing. The blessing that was promised to Abraham will be in this king and it will extend to all the families of the earth, to anyone in the world who puts their hope and their trust in this king. But notice what happens for those who reject this king. Look at verse 9. He will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a clay pot. You see, the king will bring blessing for those who trust in him, but righteous judgment and wrath for those who do not. And that's why the psalmist speaks up again. And then in verse 10, he calls these rulers of the earth to come and bow before God's king. Listen again to verses 10 through 12. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The psalmist is calling these kings and rulers to come and bow the knee before his Messiah. To serve him with fear. To rejoice with trembling. To kiss the Son in worship. And to find refuge in him. 
And so here's the second big truth from this psalm, a truth that I'm praying God will plant deep into our hearts today. Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship. Notice the three commands there in verses 11 and 12. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Let's look at each of those briefly. Notice the first command. Serve the Lord with fear. You know, what's interesting about this command is that the psalmist sees no distinction between serving God and serving God's King. That word Lord in all caps in your Bible is the divine name of God, Yahweh. And notice that when we bow before this King, we are serving Yahweh, the Lord. When we are submitting our lives to Jesus, we are submitting our lives to God. And notice that we're to serve him with fear. Serve the Lord with fear. What does that mean? Does that mean we're supposed to be afraid of God? Are we supposed to fear Jesus? Well, this idea of fear runs through the whole Bible, and it honestly can be confusing at times. We're commanded to fear not. But we're also commanded to fear God. Now, this doesn't mean that we fear God's punishment. Those in Christ will never be condemned again by God. It doesn't mean that we fear that God will reject us. Those in Christ will never be forsaken. It also doesn't mean that we fear that God will abandon us. We are forever accepted and loved by God. And so here's what it means. To fear God is to live in the light of his glory and honor. You see, God alone is glorious and majestic and holy. We sang about that earlier. When we fear God, we live like he alone is worthy of that honor and worship and praise. Fearing God is not living like everything we do. God is ready to strike us dead with lightning from heaven. That's not what it means to fear God. Fearing Him means like we, every single moment of my life, He's worthy of my fullest allegiance and devotion and worship. To serve the Lord Jesus with fear is to worship Him. So God is calling us to serve King Jesus every moment of every day of our lives. With every word that we speak to our children. With every minute that we spend scrolling on our phones. With every conversation we have at work. With every thought that we have about our spouse with every interaction that we have with others at church. I mean, what would it look like for us to serve Jesus with fear every moment of every single day? Friends, if Jesus is on the throne, then we must serve him with fear. We must give him our fullest allegiance every moment of every day of our lives. Notice the the second command there, rejoice with trembling. So just in case you were thinking that God is trying to ruin our lives by making us worship and serve him, the psalmist says, no, we are to rejoice in the Lord, our God and our King. 
God is commanding us to find our joy in Him. We're commanded to delight in the Lord. Now again, the psalmist says this joy comes with trembling. It's not a fleeting joy, but it's rooted in the glory of God. Listen to Michael Reeves, what he says in his book, Rejoice and Tremble. Our desire for God and delight in Him are not intended to be lukewarm. We are made to rejoice and tremble before God, to love and enjoy Him with an intensity that is fitting for Him. It's our greatest task and privilege to find ourselves happy in Jesus each and every day. Our greatest purpose in life is to delight ourselves in the Lord with trembling. You know, I wonder if so many of us are just so unhappy because we're trying to find joy in anything and everything but Jesus. We're trying to delight ourselves in anything but the Lord. Maybe just a little bit more money will make me happy. Maybe better behaved kids will finally make me happy. Maybe a better behaved spouse will make me happy. Maybe a nicer house will make me happy. Maybe better clothes will make me happy. If everybody would just like me in life, then maybe that would make me happy. Brothers and sisters, we are made to delight in Jesus. We've been saved to rejoice and tremble before Jesus. And yes, God does give us good gifts, and we should receive those with thanksgiving. But Jesus is the all-surpassing gift. He's our treasure and our delight. What would it look like for you to rejoice and tremble before Jesus each and every day? If Jesus is on the throne, then we must rejoice in him with trembling. Notice the last command in verse 12. Kiss the son. Now this might seem like a strange command for us. But what the psalmist has in mind here is a formal act of worship. I mean, when you go before a king, you bow down. And someone might even take the king's hand and kiss his hand. You might lean in to kiss a cheek. You might even bow there at his feet and kiss the king's feet. This kiss is a sign of submission and humility. It's a way to display honor and praise. It's an act of worship. You see, this is a a strong contrast from the posture of the kings at the beginning of our psalm, isn't it? What are they doing? Raging and fighting against the Lord, plotting and scheming to destroy Him. But now at the end, the psalm says, come and bow low before the king. Come and kiss the son. Come and worship Him. They must abandon all hope in themselves. They must throw themselves at the mercy of the king. Because notice the king will bring justice upon all who oppose him. Notice what it says in verse 12. These rulers who refuse to kiss the son 
It says, lest, they be, lest the Lord be angry with them and they perish in the way. Those who stand opposed to God's king will face his swift and terrible wrath. But those who fall upon his mercy, those who kiss the Son, will find rescue and redemption forever. Do you remember the story of the sinful woman from Luke 7? Jesus is eating dinner at a man named Simon's house. He's a Pharisee, and there's all these religious leaders there. When a woman with a reputation, a bad reputation, walks into the room. She's broken over her sin, and she's weeping in the presence of Jesus. And so her tears she, are falling at his feet as she's there at his feet, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair, and she begins to kiss all over his feet. And all of these proper religious leaders are shocked. The Pharisees in the room are just shocked that this terrible, sinful woman is there kissing the feet of Jesus. And he's just letting her do it. I mean, how could Jesus not know how terrible of a person this woman was? How could he let her do such a humiliating thing? But Jesus looks at Simon and says, do you see this woman? Listen, I came into your house and you did nothing for me. You gave me no kiss. But from the time she came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon should have studied Psalm 2 a little more. Yes, this woman was a terrible sinner, but here she is in humility and desperation, kissing the sun. And his grace covers her and his love forgives her. In this act of desperation and humility, she offers to Jesus pure and acceptable worship. That's what it means to kiss the sun. We have to abandon any hope in our own goodness and our own strength. We have to embrace our complete and utter desperation before the Lord. We have to see that we are just as terrible of a sinner as that woman. We have to see that we're just like these rulers of the earth raging against the Lord. And we have to see that our only Hope is to throw ourselves at the mercy of King Jesus, to fall at his feet and kiss the Son. You see, we have to come to Jesus and take refuge in him. Notice the last line of our psalm today. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 sets a choice before us today. Will you be like the nations and these rulers of the earth and continue in your rebellion against King Jesus? Or will you come to him and find refuge in him? You see, Jesus is the rightful ruler 
over all of heaven and all of earth. He came as the promised son of David. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Lord. He surrendered perfectly to the Father's will. And he allowed these rulers to rage against him. He laid down his life for those he loved. He entered into the chaos of death. And he rose in victory on the third day. He taught his disciples for 40 days. Then he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that's where he is at this very moment, ruling and reigning over all things. Jesus is on the throne. And so the question that Psalm 2 leaves us is not whether or not Jesus is king. That's already done. That's already been decided. Christ is king. He's on the throne. The question is, will we find refuge in him? Because here's the truth. There is no refuge from King Jesus. There is only refuge in King Jesus. There's no refuge from Him. There is only refuge in Him. And so maybe you've never bowed the knee in worship to King Jesus. Doesn't matter if you think you're a good person. Doesn't matter if you've gone to church your whole life. Doesn't matter if your parents are Christians, if your mom loves Jesus. It doesn't matter if you try really hard to be good and to love other people. If you refuse to bow to King Jesus, you will perish in the way. We have all sinned, we have all rebelled. We, like these rulers, rightly deserve his swift and terrible wrath. There will be, in the end, no refuge from the judgment and the justice of King Jesus. But there is refuge in Jesus. If you'll abandon all hope in yourself today, if you'll confess your sins to the Lord, if you'll believe today for the first time that Jesus died and rose again to forgive you of your sins, you can be saved today. You can find forgiveness and grace today. You can find refuge in Jesus today, right now in this moment. If you would repent and believe in Jesus, he will be your refuge. He'll be your salvation. So be wise today. Be warned today. Kiss the Son and find refuge in him today. And friends, for those of us who do know the mercy and the grace of King Jesus, let's press on in hope. May we live each and every day trusting that Jesus is on his throne. The Lord has set his king on his holy hill and Jesus will never be moved. And so may we stare into the darkness of whatever evil is coming our way and remember that Jesus is still on the throne. Our Savior who loves us. Our Savior who cares for us. Our Savior who keeps us. He is still on the throne. So brothers and sisters, let's bow before King Jesus today and let's worship him.
Let's serve Him with fear. Let's rejoice in Him with trembling. Let's kiss the Son. And as we do, let's remember that we are forever blessed. For blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Jesus is on the throne. Let's hope in Him. Let's worship Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, You have spoken to us about Jesus, Your King. So would You bless Your Word today? Would You implant it deep into our hearts? Would You help us to hope deeply in Christ, to worship Jesus each and every day? And Lord, for those who don't know Jesus, might they find refuge in Him today for the first time. Lord, thank You for Your Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.